Dallas. Jono. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Very good. What a, what a week this week, chatting to Darren Lapthorne, hey? Yeah. Yep. Elite cyclist. And I'll, I'll put my hand up. I'm not big in the cycling world, and this is sort of more your field, but geez, I had a learned a lot tonight. Had a really good chat with Darren. Yeah. He, heaps to learn from Darren. So obviously um, the elite cyclist for many years, mm. racing overseas, racing with uh, in the same peloton as people like Lance Armstrong, Cadell Evans and, and others. Um, so we learn a lot from him around that, you know, elite area of, of his life and, and being yeah. in and amongst those sorts of people. People also might remember um, Britt Lapthorne, the Australian um, backpacker um, who, who lost her life in Croatia. That is um, Darren's sister. And we thank so much, Darren, for for opening up and being really vulnerable and showing an incredible amount of strength to be able to talk to us a little bit about about that time of his life as well. Yeah. Um, so I look, I got an incredible amount of um, sort of strength and uh, inspiration out of chat we had with him uh, this week and lot, lots of lessons for you and I to dissect over the next few weeks as well. Yep. Me too. And if, you know, all the things we've been talking about lately in the dad mm. game podcast and, and throughout the, all the 20 odd episodes that we've done, Darren has been putting most of those into his life for a long time, whether yeah. it's in the sporting world or in, in just regular parenting or work life. So yeah, listen up. It's really, really good. If there's any, um, there's a little bit of technical issues and sound quality issues in it, but that's what Zoom does for us. That's two dads, three dads trying to work out how to use That's, technology. And yeah. it's so worth listening through regardless because his messages are unreal. So I've only got a bottle of water tonight, mate. I um I didn't want to drink a beer in front of an elite athlete. I thought I was inspired to to try and look a little bit healthy. Yeah. Well, I was trying to think of what what drink should I have. I thought maybe limoncello because he's raced over in Europe. <laughs> I thought I uh, wasn't sure, but I went with a, a, a port or a Richie port for the keen cyclists out there. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, I was sipping, sipping back on a nice fortified. So, but you know, whatever anyone needs to do, whether it's grab a drink and listen to Darren, you know, grab the dog's leash, um, maybe the dog as well, um, <laughs> you know, get in the car and drive, what, however you consume this one. This is uh, one uh, well worth listening to for sure. Yep. Enjoy guys. Cheers. Hi everyone. My dad does and his mate journey keep on making uh, brilliant episodes of the Dad Game podcast each week. I am sure this one will be a cockatoo. I mean a crackatoo. Also, Ocean Soul keep on supporting the lads and I love that Ocean Soul also support the environment. And you can check out their stuff at ocean-soul.com.au or on Facebook at Ocean Soul AU. Thank you, Dazza, Laptop and Lappers. I'm not sure which one we'll go with tonight, but maybe all three. But a lot of our research uh, that Jono and I do generally goes about as far deep as Wikipedia. So this is what we've done tonight. <laughs> so as I go through this, you can correct me at any point, but a former professional athlete, a cyclist from 2007 to 2013, you travel the world racing for a couple of professional cycling teams, winning the National uh, Road Race Championship in 2007, which for a lot of our sort of um, general listeners who aren't into cycling will note that it's something even the great Cadell Evans didn't win, couldn't win even. Nah, we, we love Cadell. He's a friend of the show, of course. Um, <laughs> big big <Bye>. fan. <laughs> uh, you raced in Asia, Europe, North America, Australia, of course. You rode for a couple of teams. Um, and it does sound like a bad joke, an Australian, a German and British team. And I'm sure uh, along with that, you met plenty of people who are diverse backgrounds and very interesting backgrounds um, from not only, you know, different nationalities, but, you know, the sporting um, arena too. A quick Wikipedia search, as I said, shows uh, many incredible highs and unfortunately highlights a couple of really tough, uh, incredibly challenging parts of your life too. It's all part of your story and we're very blessed and, and feel very, very happy to uh, have you share this with us. But most importantly, a dad of two, a husband, and I think your wife you incidentally met through racing as well. So um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about a bit more about your family and um, yeah, please correct me on any of my uh, research that I've got wrong to, to this point. I'm impressed, Dallas. Oh. I'm actually really impressed. You yeah, got up to a good start. <laughs> oh, I think that's... That's actually fairly accurate, and I'm going to have to check out that Wikipedia page <laughs> myself. Yeah, because I haven't I haven't looked at that for a long time. But um, 
No, you're pretty much spot on there. So you did touch on, um, I met Jess. Uh, so uh, my wife, uh, we're actually approaching our 10 year anniversary next month. So Congratulations. We, uh, yeah, we met through cycling, um, through a good friend of mine, Mitch Docker, who's, he's just retired as a professional cyclist with Education First. Um, he was a former teammate of mine and I was up in, uh, uh, must have been um, Central Coast, New South Wales at the time for the Australian Club Championships. And uh, we're walking down the street and Mitch comes from a track racing background and we just happened to run into a Jess, who was who was also down the street at a coffee shop at the time, and he made the introduction to to Jess, who raced um, track racing on the velodrome. Yeah. And Jess herself, she represented Australia at, at World Cups and um, wow. was was really quite competitive as as well. So, yeah, made the introduction from that moment, and then um, we kept in touch. And yeah, now we um, look, we have a brilliant life based in Bendigo. Approaching 10 years together, have two young children. So Florence is my daughter and Flo's just about to turn nine uh, in April and Lewis is seven. So uh, yeah, based in, in Bendigo, um, we still all get out on the bike. The whole family does actually. <laughs> so uh, that connection to cycling is still going strong. I, I was I was wondering, like with your wife and yourself, you know, do you ever, do your family rides around Bendigo ever turn into like a Roubaix style one day event. Um, <laughs> Everything this family does is a race. I yeah. Think. Okay. It doesn't yeah. matter if we're riding our bikes down the rail trail or eating dinner or, yeah. you know, mowing the lawn. Everything's just a, a competitive race. So, um, and uh, yeah, sometimes it probably goes overboard. You take it too far, but um, yeah, yeah. it's a very competitive family. That's so, great. Darren, on this show, we really like to explore some of the things that help people achieve great things in their chosen fields and attempt to find links on, I suppose, how we can use that in our everyday life or especially being dads. Are there some uh, health or well-being or self-care things that you practice now? Are there some of those uh, lessons, I suppose, that you've learned in your professional sporting life transferring into your everyday life or your dad life or anything? Yeah, no, that's a good one, Jono. Definitely, um, when I think back to cycling, I think about my best years and my best results. Yeah. Um, and if I reflect on that, I really think my best years is were when I had a balanced lifestyle. So everything was just, it wasn't just cycling. Um, mm. You know, even though I was, I was a professional athlete um, and I had structured training regime and program and um, a heavy race calendar, I when I reflect, it was the times when Jess, of course, was in, in my life. Um, I had other things going outside of cycling as well. So, mm. you know, whether that was just studying on the side or, um, you know, that, that great group of mates that were around me at the time, I, I really look at those years. Um, and that's, that's when I had my best results. And that's when I felt the best on the bike as well. So taking that on board now, I, I feel probably very in a similar situation. I just try and have a, a well-balanced life. Family is always the most important thing and number one thing for me, but I also, I still love cycling. I still race. Um, I still have a fantastic group of mates around me in yep. the cycling yep. world. I race the veterans cycle with the vets cycle <laughs> up in Bendigo. Yeah. Then we have to be 30 and over to race the vets now. So, um, oh, yeah. Geez, that really, makes yeah. us feel very old, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, babies. And, uh, yeah, that's it. So, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a real vets race. I'm actually approaching 40. So I'm actually one of the older vets getting well, around now. Puts me in another category. Um, <laughs> so I've got that. And then, yeah, with, you know, along with work, it's um, uh, fortunate enough to have, you know, be involved in a really um, great regionally based um, role um, with work. Family, my my immediate family is only down the road, just in Whittlesea outside of Melbourne. Yep. Um, so we get to see them regularly. Yeah, and just outside of that, it's um, we've just got a really good network of of um, family friends um, based around Bendigo, and I find that's really the key for me. If if I'm balanced, everything seems to just flow naturally as well, and um, you know that goes with uh, my professional life and what I do with work and and the family as well. Mm. Um, so really, that's that's probably one of the key things that I learned from from cycling. Yeah, wow. Just doing the maths also. So I'm going to, this is going to prove how bad I am. So you became a dad after finishing your professional 
Korea. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But obviously um, finishing in, what was it? So almost 10 years ago now. So you obviously met Jess and, uh, you know, got to know each other and, and got married through in that sort of professional arena, I suppose, while you were still, have you seen the relationship change or did you think you were well prepared for that sort of relationship? And then going into being a dad, you know, coming from a, a really structured sort of high tensile environment to, to probably a, a less so, you know, did you, did you feel like you were both sort of ready for that? Yeah. Well, so just a bit of background on that. So Jess and I met, I would have been probably 22, 23 years old when we first met. And then I moved to Germany shortly after that because we're only together for probably about a six month period. I scored a professional cycling contract with a German team at the moment called Sparkasse, which is a major bank in Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had quite a busy program. Jess at the time was still based in Australia and still cycling with a little bit on the side with the national team. But at the time just thought, you know what, I can't let this experience go. I was living in an apartment just outside of Cologne in Germany. And I was always, I always said to Jess, look, you're welcome just to come over anytime. Um, I've got this place just for a holiday. Um, the next thing I knew, Jess quit work, sold, <laughs> no, she rented her house out, sold her car, and she was on the next flight over. So came That's over good. to Ger- Germany. Mm. Yeah, we spent basically the next 10 years following that, just living you know, throughout parts of Europe. Awesome. Uh, for a while there, I was back in Australia and just traveling between Europe, the, the US and, and Australia for cycling. So we've been together for quite a long time and she was just a massive support for me. And, mm. um, and really she sacrificed her own career for me as well. So um, mm. we had that background, but as soon as we committed, once I, once I got to a point where I thought, you know what, this is probably, I'm probably at the end of my career. I've only got a couple of years, good years left in cycling. And we decided it's time to, you know, really settle down. And then for, shortly after that had uh, Florence um, and really that that was that became tough because all of a sudden Flo, Jess, that, that was my life and I was still just living out of a suitcase most of the time. Um, I was travelling traveling a lot, trying to – I was based in Bendigo um, and just that balance between family, between Jess, Flo and racing competitively, um, it just wasn't, wasn't – yeah. it wasn't there anymore. So, um, yeah, following that, um, Louis came along as well, and then uh, that was pretty much my final year of cycling. I felt that that was the right time to um, call it call it quits, and um, I really just wanted to spend time with the kids. I think just um, living out of a suitcase and um, committing to the next race and planning and the training as well. It's a seven, mm. seven days a week as far as the training goes. So yeah. But definitely the mat, the maths is correct, and that was about the time that I thought I've had a great career. Um, and it's time just to to commit to Jess and the family and really settle down. And I decided, um, yeah, that was pretty much enough with um, cycling. Yeah, wow. I am I am not a cy- I love cycling, but I'm not a, an enthusiast, Darren. I haven't followed it very much or anything like that. Did you ever race? This is for the laymen who are listening. Sorry, I'll speak on their behalf. Did you ever race against any of these big names that we know about? So the obviously like the Armstrongs and the Frooms or any they might be a bit uh, Froome might be a bit younger than you. I don't really know anything about this. Am I in the ballpark? Yeah, you're in the ballpark. I raced against Chris Froome when he was a, a little younger, and I yeah. did a race in South Africa. Um, so it was based around Stellenbosch. I think it was called the Tour of South Africa at the time. So he um, was racing with a team called Barlow World, and he won. I think he won the Tour, actually. He definitely won a stage, but he was right up there. So definitely against Chris Froome in the early days. Um, And also raced against Armstrong in the Tour of Ireland. Um, So he he made his comeback, his return race, and I just remember, yeah, probably look out of all the riders I've, I've ridden against, Armstrong was probably, no matter what has happened in his career, yeah. that was a special moment because of the, just the presence that he had in the peloton. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were, when he was in the race, there were three helicopters instead of just one. And <laughs> you know, there was security everywhere and he had his own personal bodyguards and uh, there was just this real presence about him. So that look, that was pretty special, I have to say, racing yeah. against uh, Armstrong. Um, and look, all the all the other top riders, look, Cadell all the time. I trained with Cadell when I was younger because he yeah. was based just outside of Melbourne where I live. So 
he was sort of involved with um, with me when I just got started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so look, throughout the, the years, I've raced with um, a lot of the, the best riders in the world. Yeah. And that's the same answer Lance Armstrong gave when um, asked about his best <laughs> riders. I think he mentioned you, Darren. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Can I ask you as a really off-cuff sort of question? When it all came out about um, Lance and, and what had gone on and things, did that like hit a lot more home for you, or did you feel hard done by, or did it just was it just water off a duck's back sort of thing? Do you remember the the moments? Yeah, look, to tell you the truth, when I um when I first moved to Europe, I had a bit of a meltdown because. I went through this process where I, I thought actually the racing is just at another level there. Yeah. Yep. And I got to a point where I was almost just like, what's the point in riding? All these, I don't know, half these riders are probably, you know, they might be on some form of substance. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the point? And I remember actually it was probably Jess at the time that just said, well, if that's the way you're going to think, let's just pack up and go home. Yeah. Um, so I think at that point, it was just like, well, I've either got to accept, it doesn't matter if you're clean or, or whatever you choose, as long as I've got, got my own values, yeah. um, just push through. So I think at that point, I just accepted and the fact that there probably are going to be athletes out there that cheat the system. There always probably will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, cycling is so much in such a good state now compared yeah. to back then. But with Armstrong, look, I just think he... Um, he was no matter what he was just amazing for the sport what he achieved how he supported the cancer research he was involved in so much fun so many fundraising events um there's probably a time where i thought look I, I don't have any any time for lance but one thing about lance even now he has just bounced back like nothing else he runs his own podcast there is oh, yeah. Fantastic. He's got a massive following and uh, he's involved in, you know, in the sport in other areas. So I think, um, you know, there's something to be admired in that as well. He did wrong. He's, you know, he's admitted that now and, um, but he's, yeah. he's bounced back. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great to explore, um, John, on a different podcast performance enhancing for parents. That would be amazing <laughs> because I know, I know, I know Darren just said then about he's got, you know, values and, and absolutely. But I think if someone offered me some performance enhancing for parenting, I would yeah. take it. I'd be in the bus immediately. <laughs> Where do you stick the needle? Yep. Yeah. 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 So Always. maybe yeah. not with sports, but um, it's interesting. You, you mentioned um, also in our little bit of prep work to Darren about being involved in your kid's sport is another great way to give yourself a bit of that self care, a bit of, um, you know, finding a bit of balance. And, but you've also just said in the pod that, um, everything becomes a competition. How are you as a uh, sideline parent <laughs> these days? <laughs> well, I I think I'm pretty good, but yeah. my mates and and um, our circle of friends might say otherwise. Yeah. Sometimes you just can't help it, you know. When you see little Louis or Florence and they're they're winning that hundred meter sprint, or yeah. sometimes, uh, yeah, it's um, you know, it's nice to to relive it, and they they love it. But at the same time, for for them. Um, it doesn't matter for them if they're winning or losing. They're just there with their mate. It's more of a social event for them as well. And same yeah. for us. So for me, like, um, and that's probably one thing with my parents, there was never any pressure to perform. Mm. It was like, just have fun if you're enjoying it and you have your goals. Um, it's not sort of life and death. If you don't win, it just doesn't matter in the scheme yeah. of things. So that's sort of the same principle with the kids that we've got. Um and they, yeah, they're just having fun out there. So that's that's what it's about. But we love getting involved with, you know, little acts and volunteering and, and helping out. So that's uh, yeah. it's important. For sure. What about, Darren, when you transferred into, I guess, the corporate world? This is how you met Dallas, right? Are you seeing a lot of the well-being and the skills and all the self-care things that you picked up in your professional life? Is that transferring really well into the industry? Or are you seeing a lot of people doing those sorts of things now? Yeah, I think um, probably just coming from a team-based environment. Yeah. Um, and look, cycling and being a professional athlete, it's it's tough because you're only living from sort of year to year. Your contracts, the, there's very little security um, in the role. And look, in a bike race, if you crash or if you're injured and you're up for a contract and you haven't had many results, you just get back up and you finish the race. Or, yeah. Or are your teammates in a winning position um, to win a tour or, or there's some money, you know, up for some prize money or endorsements. Um, 
you push on and, and I find that I do use some of those skills now, especially being a team in a team environment, just communication, how important that is um, to have strategy because, you know, every bike race we've got a plan or every year, you know, we plan a full year ahead of where we need to be by which month. So definitely um, those skills come into play with what I do now. And, uh, and look, often I find work, it's um, work is refreshing being a being an athlete or doing it for a living it's it's a tough gig it was um re- the rewards are very you know you may get someone like myself i might get one or two wins a year and it's a it's a beautiful moment when you win <laughs> they don't come around that often whereas you know at work you're getting you're getting wins here and there all the time and um you know you, you come home and you're not exhausted i've still got energy to play cricket in the backyard with the kids um recycling i was just always tired yeah well so, i don't I, you know I, I i hear that but i don't cycle and why am i always tired but anyway <laughs> that, that's another thing we need to work through so yeah. and, and you say that around learning some of those skills particularly you know that that resilience to understand the sort of game plan um you have a stack which would just about write anyone off but because of the the mindset and the adrenaline and the training and the and the the physical you know, situation that you're in, you'll get back up and go. I suppose what we're really, really kind of interested in is as non-elite people and, and never <laughs> been in those environments, how to sort of transfer some of that skill set, some of that learning into particularly being the best dad, best person, uh, best employer, whatever it might be, how you can do that. So obviously as a dad, you're not necessarily stacking in the middle of a peloton, but but you are always experiencing those trips and falls and you're constantly experiencing sort of brick walls. Do you feel that there's lessons that you learn in the, in the peloton, so to speak, that sometimes you call upon in stressful situations as a parent or as a, as a husband or as just a person? Yeah, it just rides away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, probably um. It's a couple of points there. Look, to even some degree now, I still use cycling um, as a bit of a stress relief type of activity, like because it's it's an outing. Um, I get home from work or, you know, it's been a long day or, you know, sometimes um, the kids, you know, it's uh, it, it's um, it's big and there's there's a lot going on. So just going out for a ride is actually mentally it's it's amazing. You know, even if it's just a half an hour roll roll the legs, get some fresh air, catch up with a couple of mates. I still use cycling um, quite a lot, um, but but probably one thing I always I guess reflect on is that even when I was a professional athlete, I always thought that cycling wasn't everything and I was mm. I always had this ability to switch off a little bit so if I wasn't training or if I wasn't racing and if I was at home then all my energy goes into home yeah uh, and I do that now as well I think I've got a fairly good ability just to focus on the now um, and you know whether you're tired and and also you know like even my cycling career it just went by so quickly I, I look back at it now and the 10 years that, you know, we're based in Europe and traveling, it just went by like a flash. And I think about my time with the kids now mm-hmm. and how quickly that's going. And it's like every minute counts. So, yeah, just that phase of my life was a flash. And I know this phase will be as well. So wow. sometimes when I'm on the edge and I'm like, you know what, I've had enough. And, you know, the kids, even tonight, I got home and, and Louie just wanted to go out and play cricket. And I just, I was, you know what, but... um really don't feel like it right now but he may stop asking me to play, play cricket you know you don't know when the, the last time in the next few years so it might be something else so i always try and make the most of the moment as well because it, it's not here forever yeah that's a, that's a huge lesson john like yeah, massive. something we can take away is this yeah looking back on those like on, on darren's professional career you, you read it from wikipedia and, and you look at all those um achievements and and i look at that and go how cool is that you've been around the world mm. but yeah i suppose looking back it is a flash in the pan and there'd be little bits and pieces you forget and things you probably didn't take in that you should you know uh, yeah. now looking back and it's so true with our kids and just in our lives like you do get caught up in things and worrying about the next race so to speak without ever really just taking in the beautiful scenery of the one you're riding <laughs> to put it into that perspective I yep. mentioned to you, Dell, not long ago, didn't I, that it's funny how if you talk to anyone who's in the 
elite world or they've, you know, they've done something pretty remarkable with life that parenting's like the great leveler. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter unless, <laughs> unless you're like the Kardashians, you've got lots of money and you've got maids who do everything for you. Yeah. Once you become a parent, it doesn't really matter what you've done previously. And, yeah. it, and it helps having all these skills, but we're all in the same boat and mm. we just learn as we go and we make things up and we Google and we research and talk to other people about things. So it's awesome hearing it from somebody else, but it's awesome also hearing that Darren sort of goes through the same things we do. Yeah. A little bit. Sure. Rolling it back a little bit, Darren, I just want to find out, how did you get into cycling? Was it something you picked up as a kid? Yeah, I was always uh, either, you know, primary school or high school into endurance sports, whether it was cross-country running, and I always made it to state level or national level. Um, And then I just, yeah, I always liked riding my bike. When I... When we t- when I turned about thirteen, my dad got an opportunity to work in China. Um, so, and that probably at that stage where I was an early teen, um, I was really into cycling. Actually, I joined up with the club and I was winning a lot of junior races. And then my I remember one day my parents came home and said, "Look, we're we're looking probably going to be moving to Beijing in the next oh, few yeah. months. Um, there's an opportunity there." and I really was upset about not having that opportunity to race my bike because I knew life would be different and that really affected me. Um, but at the same time, I was excited about that opportunity. So we moved to China for a few years and I didn't I didn't race my bike. I was involved in sports in general, just basketball and volleyball. It wasn't until I returned home that I thought I'll get back into cycling a little, yeah. uh, but it was never my ambition to become a professional athlete. I just did it for the fun of it and just because I loved it. But, uh, yeah, a few results came through and the opportunities came up. And um, with the support from my parents and family, um, sort of built from there. But I never planned on being, you know, making it my profession. Um, it just sort of, I just fell into that, that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I was just going to ask, sorry, Dale, so I want yeah. one, one yeah. thing that I think the listeners would love to hear, and hopefully it's a quick one. What's your biggest or worst stack slash injury? <laughs> I got it. Yeah. I have some of that. This terrifies me about cycling, the the feeling of gravel or or tar oh. rocks on the skin or the lycra. Ugh. I couldn't I couldn't do it, and that's the one thing that makes me not want to ride. <laughs> yeah, I've had. I've. It, it's probably to tell you the truth. It's probably the close calls, the ones that I don't know about, especially training on the road. Um, they're probably the ones that scare me the most because I know there would have been a lot probably that I'm even unaware of. You know when um. Because I have lost a number of mates, you know, especially uh-huh. training, and it's not just in Australia; it's it's all over the world. Yeah. Um, but one crash in particular, I was racing the Tour of Britain, um, and we had a stage in Wales. I think we we're coming into Cardiff, and I was in the lead break, uh, really foggy, misty, classic UK weather <laughs> scene, just dirty, miserable. <laughs> and we we're descending this this um, this mountain, and I thought, you know, here's an opportunity; I might be up for a good result here. And then the next thing I know, I just wake up in hospital. Oh, wow. Uh, and apparently what had happened was some mountain goats had just jumped off the side of, of this uh, descent onto the road, and I've collected one of them just straight on. Um, and I don't remember any, any of it. I don't even remember, but I just wake up in the hospital. I was fairly lucky. I just had a broken collarbone, which I had broken probably three or four times previously, the same one. Um, but I just remember just thinking, wow, you know, just, I don't remember any of it and going from here, you know, in a winning position to waking up in hospital. So, uh, yeah, wow. that's probably the one that sticks out. I just, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I, I know. Again, I'm not an elite sports person, but I remember trying you to do keep pick, saying that I remember trying <laughs> to pick up, pick up somebody in a nightclub when I was about 18, similar sort of thing. It must've been a misty night. I must've thought, <laughs> geez, I'm on here. I'm on here. And then woke up in the hospital the next day. So I don't know what went on then either. So no, we've all got very similar stories, yeah. Darren. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, what, what it really interests me with, with cycling too, and it's a real mindset thing is, so it's obviously a team sport clearly, and, and, um, team tactics are a huge, huge part of it, particularly the tours, but also one day races as well, but not sort of like, you know, the cricket and footies of the world, you strive so hard, obviously to, or, or some people, you know, who have that ambition to show that they're individually a great rider but then join a team where you then, even though you're individually a great rider, you have to then work so hard for the success of somebody else. Not only is that a great sort of metaphor for life sometimes in that, you know, it's all about the sort of greater good and things that you can do and 
bask in other people's sort of glory and successes, but is that a hard thing sometimes to sort of reconcile or is that just an understanding of the sport sometimes between athletes, but, you know, to be individually such a great rider, but then at times just put all that ego aside and just, and just ride for somebody else. Yeah. Because I think at those moments you're trying to achieve uh, a greater result than just your own individual result. Um, And there are times, you know, that the, it is a difficult part of cycling. Um, but for me, that was never an issue uh, because I actually get a lot of, out of seeing other people succeed as well, like my teammates or the team. And if that means I have to sacrifice my own opportunity and I genuinely believe that another rider is, you know, deserves it and is in, in a position to win, for me, it's just, it's not even a question. I'm happy to um, sacrifice my own opportunity and I get just as much enjoyment out of seeing other people succeed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think that's what I bring into, you know, my life now as well. I, I really like pe- seeing people around me um, succeed, but it is at times when you put so much into it and you put that extra training before a race and you think this is my opportunity and you end up just collecting bottles for your teammates so they can win the race, yeah. um, it is that challenge. But I d- it never affected me because no, I, no. prob- um, I got my own opportunities as well. And and it came around um, when I was in a position, my teammates, because they knew how, how much I worked for them, they definitely returned the favour as well. Yeah. And that just created such a, a good environment. Yeah, it's great. It's another great lesson for the kid, like for, for kids and people, you know, growing up is that even though, you know, schools and things do a lot, lot better now of recognizing everybody who, who gives it a go and, and tries that there is still the reality of the human behavior is there's still, you know, first is first and second is second, but to watch other people succeed and genuinely be happy for others is, I think it's a skill. Um, I think it can be developed. Some people are probably, it's a bit more innate, but yeah, it's definitely something to, for, for others to learn as well because those um, photographs of cycling events or, or any sporting event where somebody's achieved something and their teammates are behind them cheering, you know, that, that genuine happy, they're pretty awesome sort of still shots and still photos of, of, of those achievements for sure. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Where do you draw a lot of your inspiration from, Darren? Did you have some idols growing up or while you're in the sport? I did. I had some uh, teammates in particular. I think that I just there was uh, one of my teammates. He was probably the the mentor of our team. His name was Rob McLaughlin, and he finished second in the nationals on about four occasions. And he he was with the AIS when he was younger. Lived in Europe, rode with Robbie McEwen and and all the yeah. and Cadell on the same team. And he just quit one day. He thought he'd had enough of, of cycling at quite a young age. But he made a return. And he rode with the team that I rode for when I was younger. And I just remember being in the, in the middle of a tough stage and I'd, I'd be riding next to Rob McLaughlin and he was just like, mate, this pain is just so temporary. You know, just get over this next hill and you've got a chance to win. Um, but just his whole outlook and he was just, he was just this, he was just so tough and had this attitude of like nothing can beat him. He's just mm-hmm. invincible. And, uh, yeah, I just remember I, I used a lot of that inspiration in, the, in my races. Um, but really, apart from that, I think it's just, yeah, people that are my family and people that are close to me that inspire me the most and also seeing other people um, that I work with um, succeed. That That's really what inspires me the most. I admire a lot of professional athletes. I think I really admire what they achieve and, and what they sacrifice Um but to inspire me, I think it's more, um, you know, the people that are really close to close to me, they inspire me. Yeah. Yeah. So next time we're in a spot of bother, uh, Jono will we'll <laughs> ask, what would Rob McLaughlin do? Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah so, awesome. Now, um, obviously, we, you know, as we sort of set up for this interview, we, we ask a few questions and certainly around, you know, defining moments in your life as well, you know, in sporting personal life uh, too. And, and in particular about the lessons that learnt from those sort of moments and how they can carry forward and evolve into other lessons that you can sort of live by all the time. 
obviously um, there is a, a significant uh, moment in your life uh, with the loss of your sister as well, um, which is well documented. But to be to be fair, Darren, I've known you for a little while, and it, I never really sort of joined the dots there until until recently. Um, clearly, through uh, trauma and through really difficult times, um, people can grow, and, and there can be some lessons learned to carry forward. Uh, do, do you mind sort of talking us through a little bit around that that sort of time of your life and 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 how that sort of uh, and, and any lessons that you've learned from that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So just a bit of background. So I was uh, based in Germany at the time, and my sister came over to uh, visit Brit. Um, Brit was a few years younger than me, just turned twenty one, um, and was on this great thought. You know, I'm based in Europe. Why not go on a great backpacking adventure as well, make the most of the opportunity. So Britt came, came across to Europe, lived with Jess and I for a couple of months, um, did a lot of travelling throughout Germany and then thought, now it's time to uh, venture out a little further. So um, planned this really um, exciting trip around all parts of Europe but thought, oh, she'll start off with, with Eastern Europe. So um, Went through Poland, ended up in Croatia, spent quite some time there. Um, and really, um, that's when it was in Croatia when I was advised that Brit had actually gone missing. So I made the trip to Croatia straight away. I was fairly, fairly fortunate the fact that I was in Germany. It was only um, a short trip across and um, went across. And then my family, after a few extended days um, of Brits being missing, my father also made the trip across to Croatia from Australia and we spent would have been a good week in Croatia just searching for Brit there was heavy police involvement and investigations taking place um, and then eventually Brit, Brit was found um, just outside of Dubrovnik um, at the time so I lost my sister um, and yeah look that that whole experience I don't think anyone would ever um, dream of that happening, you know, no. to their family, or it's just uh, something else. And I even now, you know, I, I look back on it, and it's just, um, it's just something that uh, you know we we question all the time and uh, think how how could it happen. And, and to tell you the truth, we still don't know the the answers. Um, so that's that's um, part of it. But probably one thing that comforts me is that like Brit was only twenty one, but she had such a brilliant life. Those twenty one years were just filled with so many experiences even just living in china when uh, we were younger and um it was traveling at the time she was having you know the best the best time of of her life so um following yeah following that uh, look it was um I, I i pretty much quit cycling jess and i moved back to australia for a, for a number of months um yeah it wasn't a good wasn't a good time um but i just remember asking myself a question i felt like i was at a real crossroads it's either you know just make a decision on what 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 would brit want for not just myself but for my parents and my family as well i felt like this was a point where um you know we we have to really do what's best for brit and i think i was at a point where i either continue to really live my life to the fullest and support my parents support my family Brit, brit's gone we can't bring her back mm. or do i you know do i just give up it, it was basically like a real crossroads and and the give up option was it felt like the easy option i could have easily have just said you know what it's um i'll never understand why this happened um it, it was uh very difficult time but um with the support of everyone and i think doing it for my parents and the family um i decided you know it's time to push on so i actually got another good opportunity to re-sign for a professional cycling team um and i thought you know whatever i do now i'll just i'll do it for brit i'll do it for for her make her proud i know she um she loved the fact that i was a professional athlete it really she was she i know she admired that as well so um I pushed on and going through that experience, whatever I go through now in life, mm. it just doesn't compare to that. So I could have the worst day ever, um, you know, what we could be going through. Nothing will ever compare to that experience. And, um, yeah, I, I, 
I'm at the point now, I just really um, probably, you know, when you talk about inspiration and admiring people, probably my parents because they actually live a fantastic life now. Um, you know, they're, they're busy, they're happy. Um, they reflect, we all reflect on Brit almost every day. I, I think about Brit all the time, but we still live, you know, really amazing lives. So, but it would have been very easy to to go a different direction, I think. So um, that they're probably the ones that really inspire me. Mate, that's it, it's it's an inspiration to hear you talk so uh, openly, and mm. and I suppose with such a uh, and I don't say this lightly because of subjects we've touched on in the past, but with such a sort of growth mindset out of it, and and um, clearly um, at that crossroads, you've had uh, whether it's you know genetic, whether it's been trained into you, whether it's all of those things, you've you've had a moment of clarity to decide what is what is the best course of action and, and sent you into a, a you know a, a really a great life sort of a post that you know incredibly difficult sort of situation so thank you so much for sharing that but it's also very inspiring to to hear um you know how to deal i'm someone who deals with uncertainty uh in something as simple as a new job really badly you know it gives me a lot of anxiety gives me a lot of stress uh, i i go away from all of the things i should be doing um, and it's such small fry compared to what other people are doing. So I don't beat myself up for that anymore. I, I take inspiration from people like yourself and um, and look to sort of learn from that. So oh, I just appreciate you, the the, uh, the insights there. No problem. I'm, I'm really happy to share that story as well because, um, yeah, it's definitely, you know, to the point where I'm at now, um, I know that, um, you know, Britt Brit would be proud of, of our family. So, um, yeah, for me, I take a lot of comfort out of that. Um, yeah, and uh, as I said, I, I think um, that's something that I would never wish upon anyone. Um, but, you know, I think um, where we are now and, and um, you know, it is it is extremely difficult and, and uh, as I said, it, it, there's not a day that goes by where I don't think about Britain either. Um, but, um I'd hope, I'd hope um, one tiny positive maybe that came out of it on our, like the scale from our end maybe. I was over there probably two years later. I was living in London, traveling there. Um, my sister came over. She's, we're probably similar age difference actually for what you guys were. But I think we were all a little bit more aware of just the dangers of what can go on. And obviously, even though I'm a male, I was still a little bit concerned or a bit worried and not you know, I still lived my life and had a good time over there, but I think I was just that little bit more careful because it was still so fresh only a couple of years later. So I'd hope that that might've helped. And, and people even now who are traveling over there have still got this slight, I don't know what the word is, but just, just looking out for these type of things that can happen. Um, and I, yeah, I hope that's, that's sort of one thing that might've come out of that. That's a slight positive. Yeah, absolutely. Jenna, I completely agree. I think yeah. if that's what comes out of it, and we've heard a lot of very similar stories and feedback out of, you know, what occurred with Brit. So, um, and look, that is, um, that's for me, that's that's great to hear as well because, um, you know, you, you just can never be too careful. I mean, no one knows what, what's around the corner for all yeah. of us, but at the same time, we've got to take um, the right precautions, especially when travelling, you know, they're unknown environments, Um and you just have to be have to be careful out there. So, um, no, thanks for sharing that one, John. Cheers. You were obviously involved in, and we'll, we'll change pace a little bit now. Um, you were obviously involved in in the elite setup for a, a very long time. Uh, for for what was it, close to a decade, or you know, as you go through, longer than us. Um, yeah, a little bit longer than us. Um, did you see even in that time a change in, you know, the, the training programs, the, the physical sort of attention that you would have to take to your body and, and move into some of the mindset? I remember very clearly a day uh, where recently at, at work, when, and just for the listeners, we, we did used to work together, where you brought in some breathing exercises for our work group that you, you said that you used in, in certain um, time trial events and things like that did you see that sort of grow and, and come into effect or is it something maybe the europeans have been doing for a while have you seen the way that mindfulness and sort of being really present um, has evolved through a training process yeah i think it's extremely powerful and probably looking back i think that's an area i wish i had have had more assistance with because 
when you're approaching a race or uh, there's so much pressure, so much stress, um, you've sacrificed everything. Um, when, when you're in the right mind or mental state approaching a race, um, it really it, it can change. I, I think it's more powerful than actually being in physically the best shape that you're, you're in, you know. Um, and I, I really wish that that's something um, I, I probably focused on at the moment. I think I had some opportunities back then to really pursue that, but I didn't believe it. I was young and I thought, mm. you know what, I, I don't need anyone to train my mind. <laughs> or to assist me to, you know, come into a race. It's all about how physically fit you are and the best shape that, that you're in. Um, so, and that's something that I see now. Every professional athlete you see around the world, world they've got their own mindfulness coach. And I think it's just extremely powerful. Mm. And it's something that um, I think I appreciate more now, especially at work, than, than I did previously. So, um I don't take that for granted. But, yet, um, there's a few things I, I like to do. Um, definitely breathing exercises. Um, I think they're, they're quite good, and, and you can just do them any time throughout the day as well. Um, and I just think um, when, when you're approaching someone, if you have someone to really train you or give you advice, or it, it's just amazing how powerful that can also be. Yeah. What about, like, have you brought across things – like uh, I, I read that you, you're doing the ice baths, obviously in those days and that any of those things still happen in your day-to-day life now, or is that all a thing of the past? No, I do. I, I do ice baths or cold showers every day. Um, <laughs> that's one thing yeah. that I got from being an athlete. It just felt amazing from, yeah. you know, uh, as far as the recovery goes. And it wasn't, it wasn't just physically, um, mentally, you know, just, it was like resetting the, the whole system. So I still do that now. Um, and I, I just find that's really effective. Um, yeah, just being grateful for, for things around me. Um, you know, just, uh, the simple things, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Uh, I, I think, you know, I've got a really fortunate, um, or I'm in a fortunate position, beautiful home. We live in a great place in Bendigo. The family is is happy. We've got great schools. So, yeah, I take into the – I reflect on that daily. Um, but definitely ice baths, if anyone's listening out there, you should give those a shot because they are magic. Oh, I do them every day. I'll tell you what they're good for. <laughs> uh, they're, they're good for putting your last man standing beers in. And keeping them cold. <laughs> That's oh, what right. they're good for. Shame. They're never good. Yeah, it's yeah. it's always a test, and it's almost that mental test. You go into a, you know an ice bath or a, you know an icy cold shower, especially in the min- middle of winter. Yeah. That it's just about taking that first step. Yeah. You yeah. step in, and then but when you come out of it, it's just it. Yeah, it's great. Well, Dallas, all my showers up here in summer are, are cold showers, and yeah. you guys are probably a bit similar on those hot days. Have you done it though? Like everyone goes on about yeah. how good it is. I don't know, you know, especially when I lived overseas. I lived down in Melbourne, and it was cold. I don't think I could do it. The cold shower, mm. I, I like them, I love them, and I love the feeling afterwards. I just yeah. don't know if it's something I put in everyday life. I should. I, I go through stages where I attempt, like I go through these sort of periods where I'm like, right, you know, I'm going to do it, and particularly in the mornings, it's a really yeah. great way to. But I um. Uh, then I just forget because yeah. often for me, I stand in the shower <laughs> and that's it. I'm a blank. It's yeah. just time alone. It's, you know, it's where you can be left alone. So you are, uh, I often then forget, oh crap, I should have done a, a, a cold shower then. But yeah, it, it, there is that refreshing. We, I also sometimes finish the shower off cold. I'm not sure yeah. if that helps, if that's any good, but I do I love that mental challenge. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you take that big breath and you're like, how long can I yeah. stay in this freezing cold shower for? Here's one, here's one for you, Dallas. You know how we talked about this. There's, you know, we talk about the skinny mirror, the good mirror. Yeah. yeah. Mine, mine is in the bathroom and it faces our shower and we don't have a door in the shower. It's just one of those. Okay. So I can see myself in the best mirror while I'm in the shower. So yeah. But if the shower's too cold, to <laughs> if the shower's too cold, it's not only a skinny mirror, it's a short <laughs> yeah. mirror. Yeah. I don't know. It's at about the right height. So I, I don't have to worry too much. About okay. That. <laughs> um, I reckon we, I reckon we we've, um, yeah, just about taken up as, as all of your time there, Darren. I think in, in my mind, the things that I try and look for is, um, as we said before, you know, you might do some breathing exercises before a time trial. I always try and make those tedious links between what's a time trial for me in my life and what it is. Mm. It's brushing my daughter's hair before school. Like <laughs> I tell you, you want a high pressure situation and that's what yeah. that is. So I will try and do more breathing 
and, and you know, I don't have to worry about my physical state as much as more my mental state before brushing her hair. So <laughs> I'll take that away with me. Um, the, probably the last thing we like to, to uh, ask people is just around, uh, and it is a, it's a vulnerable question because, um, you know, in an interview state, you might say, what is your weakness? But it's, we don't put it that way. Um, yeah, what, what's something you're looking to always try and improve on? What's, what's an area that whether it was, you know, coming out of your professional sort of um, sporting life and now into being a, a parent, number one, and then um, into all the other aspects of your life, what's, what's something that you're always looking to, to improve on? Um, yeah, for me, it's really, um, I, I think up to this stage, like I've, I've had a lot of amazing experiences and, and being an athlete, it's, um, I always took it extremely seriously. Mm. I take everything serious and I think I'm at a stage now where, um, you know, I just, I actually just want to have more fun in life. Mm. I, I really just want to enjoy it. Um, and even, you know, talking about Brit, um, I just, you just don't know what's around the corner. And I think really you just have to live the moment a lot more. And I think I'm very good at planning ahead, sort of visualizing where I'd like to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And I set goals, but one thing I probably haven't done enough of is just living for the moment and just having a bit of fun. Mm. And um, I know that, you know, I've got, I do that for, um, I do that at times, but I think I could just do more of it. So um, for me, that's that's really the the big goal, and and that's having fun, not just at at home, but at work or or whatever I do. So I think um, something, um, yeah, that's that's really what I would like to um, achieve more of. It's basic, but I think it's just um, you can't you can't get enough of it, especially you know what what we've gone through the last couple of years with COVID, and um, yeah, so that's my my area of improvement. Sure. Awesome. I'm, I'm so appreciative, Dallas, of Darren coming on tonight. Just getting yeah. some of that insight from someone who's been at, at a level much much higher than yourself and myself as we've sort of joked through at the night. But thanks so much for coming on, Darren. That's unbelievable hearing some of those things. And thanks for opening up a little bit about some of the other stories there. So hopefully we might be able to get you on for a second round sometime down the track. But only if you've got some time and you're not too busy talking to Lance and Chris and Cadell and all those guys, but say hi to them for us. Oh, well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. I always stress that every time we've had now, you're you're the third guest and each time Jono loves the guest a lot more than he likes me. So I'm always (laughs) worried. He's, I think, think guests are a way of him looking for a new podcast partner. So you might be in the gun there. uh, I'm a headhunter. Is that what you guys do in your your corporate world? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, no, nah, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the, um, the listeners will get heaps out of that. And, and Jono and I will now go to work in, in putting into practice and, and mm-hmm. trying to sort of uh, learn from, you know, the lessons that you've learned over the years around, you know, putting it into our pretty ordinary or very ordinary lives. So uh, thank you. Thanks again. Thanks a lot. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening.